BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hey, legit batters. We don't really do ads, but if you feel the need to support our dumb show, you can subscribe on Rockfin for all of our shows, plus bonus member shows, or on Patreon for audio versions. Oh my god, this sounds so scripted. It's terrible. No, read it like that the whole time. No, I can't. Yes, do it. Okay. Or click on the affiliate link in the notes to support <laughs> awesome companies. I don't know who wrote these notes. Oh, yeah, it's me. If you don't feel like s- sending bullshit fiat currency to us, just share the show with a friend or give us a rating or review. You know, standard podcast shit. Actually, that could be said without the radio voice. Oh. Well... Maybe I'll put in a fart noise. (laughs) But we also accept sweet nothings in the form of DMs or emails. Seriously. That's actually more appreciated. We don't need your money. We just want loves. We don't need your money. It'd be cool. But I mean, if you don't want to buy us a beer, that's fine. You can just uh, say, hey, you guys are awesome. Or say, you guys suck. Those are funny too. No, it's like hanging out. When you go out and hang out with your friends at a show, just say you're at a concert. Would you be more excited that they were there and that you got to spend time with them or if they bought you a beer? I guess it would depend on your alcohol dependency levels, but yeah, we don't have that. We are just no. excited to be hanging out with you guys. That's it. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the show and uh, support however you fucking want. Thank you. I love Leo. I like sucking. Hello. Welcome to Legit Bat. Joe, Jen's with me. Hello. Ben couldn't make it. That's okay. We got uh, Matt from The Great Deception standing in for him. How's it going, Matt? Thanks for having me, guys. Always. I'm glad you could, uh, I mean, moments notice. I I texted him like an hour ago and he's like, yeah, sure. Yeah. Perfect co-host. Anytime I can help. Love it. Started a new show and the first episode dropped today. Uh, it is called Speed Bumps, and there's quite a few shows called Speed Bumps. So look up the one that looks like a, a road with a, a, a traffic sign in it, and go check that out because uh, she's she's doing her thing over there. And I, I actually got to edit her show for her, so that was pretty fun. Uh, stay tuned for more of those. I'm sure she's going to be cranking them out just like we do. But our guest tonight is Wayne McCroy. 
And Wayne, I'm terrible at fucking doing uh, introductions for people. I'll just fuck it up. So just you introduce yourself and what you do and uh, how you got into this whole thing. All right, man. Thanks again for having me on. I, I appreciate it. Uh, uh, for anybody out there who's not uh, uh, familiar with my work, I, I'm an author and researcher. And I also run a podcast called Alchemical Tech Revolution, which is also right here on Rockfin as well. Uh, if people wanted to check that out. And I'm also a frequent guest and contributor on Crow 777 Radio, as well as uh, Secrets of Saturn uh, channel here on Rockfin as well. Uh, so uh, those are the various places you could find me. And uh, I do have four books available right now, uh, my newest of which is called The Demic of Pan, Breaking the Natural Order. And I think that's primarily what we'll be discussing here tonight. But uh, anyway, for anybody who's interested in a little bit of my backstory, um, I'm just a regular dude who was interested in some of these uh, fringe type topics and, and things like that. And I, I had an experience way back in 2006 that really sent me uh, seeking very deeply into uh, different realms of esoteric research. I had a UFO encounter that uh, affected me uh, in a very uh, strange kind of way. It really it piqued my curiosity for things. Uh, so, you know, that's what sent me initially searching uh, down these various rabbit holes of the esoteric. Uh, and that's where I started is actually with the UFO field and all the different directions it took me were astounding. And then uh, a synchronicity of personal events through my life uh, since that time uh, began adding up and sent me researching other topics, uh, including the biomedical field, uh, because uh, uh, of something that happened to my young son in 2008. And uh, that really changed my life and sent me really down this path of research uh, wholeheartedly. So that's kind of the, the big changeover points for myself here as to why I got involved in this type of research. Uh, and it's astounding how all of the all of these different topics that you look at, they always end in the same two places, invariably, no matter where you look, like whatever you're looking at, any any of these conspiracy type topics, right? Uh, people like to label us conspiracy theorists or truthers or, or whatever moniker they want to give us. All these topics, when you actually research them to uh, their roots in antiquity, you always invariably find the occult and uh, what's called the ancient mystery schools. So that's one end of this research that you come to. And the other end of the research, looking into the future, always invariably leads to a philosophy called transhumanism. And every single one of these topics will always end in those two places, depending which direction you research to. If you're looking to the future, you'll find transhumanism. If you're looking to the past, you'll find the ancient mystery schools and the occult. And it's always the occult. And I always tell people this all the time, uh, regardless of what you think of it, it, you're always invariably going to find it. And uh, I, I'm yet to find any exception to that rule. All of these topics always tie to those same two things. And it's it's astounding when you really look at it. So that's uh, kind of uh, where this whole thing came about for me, is looking at uh, these big topics and, and beginning to understand them. Uh, I like to tell people I accidentally became an expert in occult philosophy. So uh, like it was re never really the intention when I got into this kind of thing. Uh, but that's always where it leads. And uh, in order to better understand what's going on, the reasoning behind things happening in this world, you have to understand the mindset of the people putting these things into motion. Uh, so when you do that, you have to explore some of these topics and keep an open mind and understand that uh, regardless or, or, of whether or not you believe any of that stuff, 
there are people in positions of power in this world that absolutely do believe in this stuff and act upon it. And the things they do to act upon it will affect all of us. So it's important to understand these things. And that's, you know, a, a basic introduction for people as to who I am and what I do. So, uh, you know, nice. where, where would you guys like to go from there? No, that's awesome, dude. How did you get uh, involved with Crow? Did you did he hit you up or did you ask to come on his show? Or Because I've heard you so many times. I think that's the most I've heard you is on Crow because we've had him on, too. He's great. Yeah, I, I've uh, I think I'm the guest that's been on Crow the most out of anybody aside from Jason. Uh, and that, that's an interesting story, too. Uh, Jason Lingren, the co-host of Crow 777 Radio uh, and myself, we were childhood friends. We grew up together. We were best wow. friends growing up and we lost touch for like almost 30 years. I had no idea he was doing any of this stuff. Now, here's 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 how the synchronicity of it all works. And this is how God opens doors for people. OK, uh, because I had gotten very heavily involved in this research and uh, it, it was a very lonely journey because there's nobody really to talk to about it. Like, I'm sure everybody that uh, looks into this stuff has experienced that. You, you have nobody to really talk to. There wasn't any kind of an outlet for that. So, you know, I, I found out I wound up doing more digging and all of this concerning stuff that I found. I, I kept telling my wife about it. And she's like, you know, she said, why don't you just go and write a book? She said, I'm tired of you telling me about this stuff. I've heard it over and over again from you. She That's said, a nice way to say shut the fuck up, dude. <laughs> I know, but she's much more polite than that and reserved. So she told me, why don't you go write a book? So that's what I set out to do. So I stepped out in faith, started writing my first book, The Alchemical Tech Revolution, and compiling it all together with no idea what I was doing. I'd never written a book before. I'd never done anything like this before. And I had no clue what I was doing. So I just took that step in faith. I started writing the book. And then lo and behold, what happens is uh, a mutual friend of mine on Facebook that's a mutual friend with Jason responded to something he posted. And he posted a uh, uh, some kind of a post. This was going back a few years now, back to probably 2016, I want to say, 2017, because that's about when we got back in touch. Um, so he, he had posted something about the new Doctor Who when they brought in Jodie Whittaker and how they were destroying the show and... Uh, he went on this rant on this post that he put about social engineering and stuff like that. And uh, our mutual friend had commented, commented on it and said uh, that he didn't understand what in the world he was talking about. And it's all lunacy and stuff like that. What he's talking about was, was nonsensical. And I understood right away what he was talking about with social engineering. So I chimed in on it and we wound up getting back in touch again. And, you know, I had no idea what he was doing. We hadn't talked in like 28 years or something like that. Hadn't seen each other because uh, he's he's like two years older than me. So when he graduated high school, like he went off to college and stuff like that. And we just kind of lost touch. You know, it wasn't anything, you know, where we had any animosity or anything with each other. We just lost touch and went our different different ways. And, uh, you know, so uh, we got back in touch with one another. And here I come to find out he's the, the co-host of Crow 777 Radio. And I didn't even know Crow had his own podcast at that point. Honestly, I had heard him a couple of times on the higher side chats and I was always fascinated and resonated with some of the stuff he talked about. So I had no idea like Jason was involved with that in any way, shape or form or that uh, Crow even had his own podcast at that point. So that that really was a startling revelation for me. And uh, that kind of opened the door uh, for me to actually getting a place to uh, get this information out there for people. When there was no door before, 
the the good Lord made a way, right? And and that's what I tell people. If you step out in faith, if you you have a calling on your life and you step out in faith, uh, God will make a way for you to to do that. So uh, uh, that's that's kind of what happened. It's it's a strange synchronicity of how all these events unfolded, and just at the right time, you know, there there was the opportunity, there was the doorway where there was none before. And, uh, you know, Jason and I got back in touch and now we talk almost every day <laughs> still. I mean, he was, he lives a couple thousand miles away from me down in Louisiana now, but we we're in contact all the time and we're working on all kinds of new projects and stuff together too. Uh, so that's another exciting thing I want to announce here. Uh, we're going to be starting a new podcast and a new uh, YouTube channel. Uh, it's called death of the modern hero, uh, where we're going to be talking about, uh, various entertainment type topics, like uh, in, in the ways like some of the other channels like uh, Nerdrotic and, and channels like that do. It's going to be a little bit something more mainstream, but we will touch upon uh, some of the other aspects of things too, but in a more subtle way, because we want to reach a wider audience. Uh, so we're going to be starting that up uh, probably within the next week or so. Uh, that'll be hitting. So that should be good. We're going to start our first episode. We're going to explore the concept of the hero's journey and how it pertains to the 1999 film the matrix and we're going to break all that down and have a good discussion awesome. about that and hopefully we could reach some of the quote-unquote normies out there so um, we see that as being a thing that we would very much like to do expand our horizons a little bit reach a broader audience and you know unfortunately we'll have to like censor ourselves a little bit tone it down a bit but uh i think sometimes that's necessary if you want to try and draw more people in to some of the other other things you're working on so uh that's that's what we're, we're doing. So that'll be launching here too. So that's a new project we're working on. Uh, so, yeah, it's been an it's been an interesting and wild ride for me the past five years. I gotta say. So, yeah, yeah, it was funny because I actually thought you were the third co-host of Crow Triple Seven. I don't know what point I found Crow, but you were on so much. I literally thought you were one of the hosts of it. And then they had some other dude. I'm like, who's this dude? Where, where did Wayne go? <laughs> yeah, it's I'm, I'm kind of like an unofficial co-host, uh, so to say. Uh, but, uh, and, you know, it's I, I, it's kind of it's I, I've been on there a lot more than anybody else. Let's put it that way. Uh, I, I've been on for quite a few episodes and uh, we're going to be recording another episode here co coming up. So, uh, hell yeah, it too. Awesome. Well, it, oh, what's funny, too, is I, I thought Jason was like 25 years old when I started listening <laughs> to grow. And then I found out he's like 78 or something. I was like, whoa, how? <laughs> he sounds like a child. That's crazy, but he's super smart. So super smart child. I'll tell you what, no. I've, <laughs> no, I've known the guy for almost my entire life. He hasn't aged a day in like 30 years, dude. He, he, he really, he still looks just as young as he did uh, when we were in our twenties, uh, honestly. Yeah, so nuts. yeah. <laughs> so no, I've wait, seen a couple pictures of him. Old. I'm like, wait a minute. How, he cannot be that old. That's I'm going to look like, I'm going to look a hundred by the time I'm his age. So good for him. Damn. Yeah, I think he's done pretty well for himself. He's, he hasn't aged much at all. So more than most of us can say, right? Yeah, that's for sure. So let's get into your, uh, your new book here. Uh, I know you have other books too, but I, I pinpointed this one just because I heard your interview with Crow and I wanted to do it the legit bat way here, which is very irreverent, obviously, and just kind of like whatever goes. So, what is the give people who haven't read it yet the the basic outline and how you came up with the idea for this book? Okay, uh, well, essentially, uh, if you look at the events of the past two years here, 
you see there was a large deal of social engineering has gone on. They, they really have uh, shifted the way society operates. So I took a look at it and broke it down through an occult or esoteric lens. And uh, some of the conclusions I came to were pretty startling. So uh, I decided to put it in book format. And I had talked about some of this prior to writing the book. But uh, I figured the time was right. Go ahead, put it all in book format and set it out there. Uh, so essentially what it talks about is it talks about the way that the people in positions of power in this world operate. They use archetypes. And one of the archetypes they use is based upon ancient mythology. Uh, so they use this ancient mythology as an archetype in order to affect people's minds in specific ways. Uh, so what they did is they invoked the archetype of Pan, the Greek god of nature, right, in order to uh, change uh, the modern public viewpoint, in a sense. So uh, they, they've tried to craft a brand new mythology for our modern sensibilities, is what uh, you know. The, the bottom line is here. And there is uh, a lot of evidence to this. And I lay out that evidence in the book. And I also uh, like to point out the fact that uh, the importance of mythology is not lost on these people in positions of power in this world the ones that actually run the show. And I like to say it's the, the quote unquote dark occultists that run this place because that's absolutely who it is at the very top of the power structure. It's dark occultists running things. Uh, and they do things based upon principles most people have no concept of. And one of those things is indeed mythology or mythological archetypes. And that's uh, one of the things I point out in the book. And I, I will always go back and reference some important places where this is this is talked about openly uh, by people in the power structure. And one place is a book called Changing Images of Man, which was written in 1981. And this was a Stanford project, right? Stanford University project and uh, had uh, some important movers and shakers within uh, different uh, uh, what I would call social engineering spheres. Uh, people like Margaret Mead were involved. If anybody's familiar with her, um, and various other big players in uh, psychology and uh, sociology and things like that. So uh, in this book, they make a stark admission that sometimes in order to uh, uh, alter the behavior of the public, they have to uh, invoke more subjective ideas like things like mythology and, uh, you know, metaphors, things like this, in order for uh, the public to accept certain ideas. So they acknowledge that they use metaphors, archetypes, mythology, all of these different resources in order to affect people's behavior. And these are more subjective type ideas. And, and that's the whole point here is because we've been taught as a society through our modern lens of what we call science to try to think only in objective material terms. Right. And uh, that I'll give an example of this. Essentially, what they like to do in order to control a system is they like to quantify and measure everything. Because if you could get an accurate quantification or measurement of something, you could more easily control it. Uh, so that's what they look to do. But they also are, it's not lost on them that sometimes you need to use something more subjective in order to alter social behavior. Uh, so that being the case, they will use these different archetypes or mythologies, metaphors, these things to affect people's thinking in a way, because uh, it hits on something primal in your unconscious mind. Uh, many of these archetypes and mythologies. So it's something that you will intrinsically recognize on an unconscious level when you see it, but it, it kind of falls under uh, what your conscious perception would be. 
So you don't pick up on it consciously, but it does affect your mind in a subconscious way because it's an archetypal idea. So you will recognize it. And uh, archetypes, for those who don't know, this, this relates to something that uh, in the scientific community, they would call genetic memory or epigenetic memory or something of that sort. And uh, in the occult teachings, they would refer to it as the Akashic record in some instances and different ideas like that or ancestral memories things like this. So it's something that you will, your mind will recognize, but you might not have a conscious realization of it, but uh, there's an inherent instinct there in how you will react and it will affect your behavior on some level. So uh, the elites, the quote unquote elites of this world, they recognize that and admit to that in works such as that book, Changing Images of Man. Uh, so I put an excerpt of that right in the beginning of my book, just to kind of lay the groundwork and foundation for people so they know I'm not just making this up, okay? It's not just, you know, these people use mythology and I'm, I'm just saying that. That's not the case. They, they've they admitted to it. They uh, they use it in many ways. And all, all you have to do is look at the different uh, news stories and things going on in our society today to understand that they hit upon mythological archetypes many times. And the problem here is we largely have stepped away from that in our education system. People don't get educated about uh, the classics anymore or what they call the classics, mythology and all of this stuff. We don't get taught that. But uh, the private schools where most of these quote unquote elites go to school or their children go to school, they do get taught that stuff. So they would better recognize these things than we would. And that's all been done on purpose because that keeps you kind of effectively out of the loop as to what exactly is affecting you and how. Because if you recognize it, you could fight back against it. And and that's the premise here. So if and, they keep you dark, and Wayne, we tend to get it through programming, right? Whether it's like you're saying via the news, whether it's Netflix, Disney, whoever it may be, they're going to invoke these same myths, these same archetypes in their programming and, you know, kind of ingrain it in us even more. Right. Oh, absolutely. Uh, that's that's what it's all about. So, uh, yeah. They like to use the entertainment first in order to introduce new ideas. That's how they do it, because, uh, you know, let's, let's break down the word entertainment, right? What does it mean? Enter, when it, to go in. Tain, to grab hold. Ment, M-E-N-T, as always meant mind, to grab hold of the mind. That's what it's about. That's what entertainment is truly at, about at the uh, root source of the word. So uh, that, that's what they're doing. They're going in, they're grabbing hold of your mind, and they're implanting these different ideas in the form of the archetypal myth, right? Uh, that your unconscious mind will recognize and will affect you on a subconscious level, uh, which will affect your conscious behavior, but you don't realize it. So you don't realize you're being programmed. And that's why things like predictive programming, as it's called in conspiracy circles, works. That's what they do. That's why they put everything in the entertainment first. Plus it also gives them this buffer of plausible deniability, right? So, uh, that's, that's why they operate in this way. And there's a, a principle that underlies all this that uh, is, it's kind of uh, what most people would describe as karma or a karmic principle. Uh, the word I use to describe it is metaphysical consent uh, because they, they have to uh, attain your consent for these things before they can do it for you or do it to you, I should say. Um, and, and that's one of the underlying natural laws that operates in this place that they always try to skirt around by doing this because they will view your consent as being your lack of re like rejecting their idea. So Where when they show you something, in the, I, 
I've heard that a lot, the consent thing, where they have to get your consent. Where does that come from? Is that from ancient texts, or is that something they made up, or what? No, that's something that uh, runs deep through all the different occult streams that come forward from back from the ancient mystery schools. It's about consent, and it has to do with the free will principle, because uh, when we were created, we were given free will. We have choices, right? We can make a choice. So uh, they can't, within the realm of natural law, violate that free choice. So what they have to do is they have to elicit your consent somehow. Uh, and this works, you know, you'll see this through all kinds of archetypical or archetypal stories, like through vampires and stuff like that. Like, you know, the vampire can't affect you unless you invite him in, right? Uh, that kind of thing. This goes through all mythology. It runs deep from uh, all these old mystery school themes. Uh, so, you know, this is something that's widely accepted by occultists all across the board and these dark occultists at the top, they, they try to skirt around this karmic principle by doing this. They will present an idea to you. And if you don't reject it, they see that as your tacit consent for that. Uh, and that's why they like to use the entertainment mode first. They'll introduce it to you as an idea in entertainment. And the fact that you will tune in and watch it and not reject that idea gives them their consent to do that, gives them your consent to do that. So then you'll start to see these things uh, encroaching more and more as time progresses here, because they, they play the long game with a lot of this too. Uh, so right. that, that's how social engineering works in a nutshell. Uh, they use different occult principles to get it done in many ways that most people don't recognize. Uh, so, you know, that's one way that they do it. And uh, they, they use the news media as well. It's not just the entertainment, the news media is very complicit oh, with this as well. So, isn't it just so strange though that they like they obviously have no morals or you know any like inkling of being of human kindness but they they adhere to this one principle of we have to have your consent we're gonna fuck you up but you gotta say okay first like it's just such a weird thing that that's the one thing they, they that's stick why they're on. so deceitful about it though because if we say no we are so much more powerful than they want us to know in my opinion, I think as humans, we could absolutely be like, oh, actually, this doesn't affect me. I say no. And that literally shuts their shit down and they can't do anything. That's that. it would have worked so they like have that. to be deceitful. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and part of it, too, Joe, is they don't see us as equal to them. Right. They, the they are superior to us. We are inferior. You know, we're the worker ants. So, you know, a lot of times we're expendable. I know it just seems like it would be a rapist, you know, getting consent before he rapes you like they, they're inferior. We're inferior to them, but they still have to, like, get our tacit consent on it. It's just such a weird thing. It, it is a strange concept. But uh, when, when you realize that uh, we're all on an equal playing field, but they see the thing is they believe that they are superior, that they have the divine right to rule. And a lot of this ties back uh, once again to the old ancient occult teachings of these mystery schools. And uh, it, it goes back to the, the very beginnings of civilization and the, the creation stories that we have. Uh, like, for instance, the, the story of Adam and Eve, right? Well, here's what they teach within most of these secret society groups today and uh, throughout all the ancient mystery schools. Here's what they teach. They teach that uh, when Eve gave birth, she gave birth to Cain and Abel, right? Well, what they teach is that Cain was uh, the offspring of a fallen angel named Samael, and Abel was her child through Adam. And therefore, the, the lineage of Cain 
has the divine right to rule because they're semi-divine because they come from this fallen angelic bloodline. And this is what they teach in many of these secret uh, society groups and, and mystery schools. And this has been passed down. So they, they believe they have the divine right to rule, that they have this semi-divine bloodline. So that's why they try to set themselves up and think they're superior. Uh, and also, these are the people that have largely kept uh, secrets within these different secret society groups. And this started as the mystery schools of antiquity. So what they did is they gave an outward expression of uh, what they would call worship to the masses. And there was only a select few individuals within the, the quote unquote priestcraft within the mystery schools that knew the real esoteric secrets. And uh, at the core of this was essentially how to control people. And that's what they still teach today. It's all about controlling people. It's by dangling secrets in front of people and leading them down the path that you want to. Uh, so that's, that's largely what's been taught through all of that, but they believe that they have this divine right to rule because of that, because they believe they are of a superior lineage to us. Uh, so, you know, they, they go, they claim to be from the lineage of Cain, the line of Cain, the, the philosophers of fire. That's what they call themselves. Um, they believe that they are related way back to Cain and that the bulk of humanity is related back to Seth, Adam's other son after uh, Abel was murdered. So, uh, you have these two lines and one equates to what they call the line of Cain is the philosophers of fire. And the other one would be the, the sons of the waters of faith, right? Or, or the line of Seth. Uh, so they divide these things on these different, based on these different occult principles. And they see themselves as having the divine right to rule. They see themselves as the master builders. They're the ones that create their own destinies. Whereas those of the waters of faith, they just cling to, uh, their God, Jehovah, right? Or, uh, you know, to these other gods and just walk by faith. It can, you know, just completely content with uh, living day to day and having nature provide for them rather than building their way or creating for themselves. So the these philosophers of fire, this line of Cain, they see themselves as the builders, the creators, the ones that get the job done, that do things. And they see those of the waters of faith as just, being the the sheep, so to say, uh, the ones that just uh, are, you know, willing to accept whatever comes their way and depend upon somebody else to provide for them. Uh, so they have little respect for them and they view them as little more than animals. And that's the that's the bottom line here. That's that's what it is. It all ties back to this different occult philosophy. Uh, so uh, many of them within these power structures, these dark occultists at the top, they believe that you don't even have a soul unless you are an initiate of one of their secret orders, their secret groups, and you go through the initiation process. See, so they view you as nothing more than an animal to be used and abused. Uh, that's why they refer to us as human resources. See, where do you think that term came from? Uh, and and th all these different ideas, and, and most of this stuff escapes people because they, they just don't see on that level or uh, understand how these philosophies have been passed down. Uh, but that's that's the core root of what's gone on here and why they think that they're superior to us and uh, why they treat us the way that they do and subject us to these things. Uh, but at the end of the day, there's still that natural law that they have to abide by and they understand that. Otherwise, they will have karmic retribution for that. They'll have uh, some kind of karmic uh, blowback for the things they do. So that's why they, they coerce us into consenting to things or try to trick us and manipulate us because they think we're mentally inferior to them uh, because of this reason. So uh, 
Unfortunately, you know? I think the vast majority kind of is because they're they're pretty brilliant with the things they do, and they've had time to figure this shit out. How do you think it uh, translates over the thousands of years, though, with uh, whatever original group this started with, whether you want to go back to Adam and Eve or whatnot? How did that get passed down? Is it like oral tradition? Is it a like you said, it was a bloodline, but are they actually teaching this to their kids are they inbreeding because that's a big thing too is they're they're inbreeding to keep the you know the the bloodline pure and they they're brought up as elites and you know you got the royal family and they they've done nothing for whatever position they hold but yet here they are ruling britain or wherever they are you know so how does that get passed down over the generations well that's here's the thing it starting way back with the ancient mystery schools i think there were some good teachings and good intentions there when you go back and you look at like the actual metaphysical con concepts and uh, like the alchemical sciences and stuff like that. But what has happened is early on, uh, some of these people decided that uh, they liked having all the attention and power and having people do what they say. Uh, so they kind of got greedy and uh, some of the things that they learned, they kept to themselves and only passed on to select people that uh, met their standards, that they, they would accept to do that. And a lot of that would be within families, like from father to son. And this was all done through oral tradition, uh, from teacher to student in an unbroken lineage all through the ages. Uh, and even today, most of the secrets and most of the teachings involved in a lot of these secret societies, they're not written down in, in text form. It's passed on orally from teacher to student through this line of succession. Now, they do write some things down to kind of preserve uh, you know, uh, these different knowledge streams, but they do it in an esoteric way. See, they, they disguise it uh, like that. You don't get the true meaning of it. If you're not initiated, you won't understand what the symbols mean. Uh, so they talk in, in allegory and symbol in a lot of this when they do record it. Uh, so well, you like won't they do the, the cipher book where all the lectures are in a book, but it's a cipher and you can't read it unless you know what those symbols mean. And yeah, stuff like, sorry, I cut you off. Go ahead. Oh, that's fine. Yeah, that's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Or they use different terminology that your person, unless they're initiated into their brotherhood, uh, that they wouldn't understand. Right. So, uh, you know, when they're talking about the rose and cross and, and things like that uh, and, and people read it and there's a plain uh, exoteric meaning there and it, it sounds nonsensical to most people. Right. So they that usually shuts them down because it's it's not. Uh, representing what's exoterically on the page. It's an esoteric symbol underneath, and you have to be able to speak that language to understand the message being conveyed there. Uh, so that that's how a lot of this stuff has been passed on, but it's mostly through oral tradition. And uh, yeah, a lot of these ones were uh, obsessed with family bloodlines, and like they still kind of are. They're, they're always looking at, uh, at all this genetic stuff, uh, especially like the Mormon church. They're notorious for... Uh, you know, going back and, and researching uh, family trees and stuff like that. Uh, like the, So there's there's various different groups that explore uh, this bloodline kind of connection here. So uh, that's, that's one of the things. But uh, in order to get initiated into one of these groups, well, you have to be accepted by them, right? And you kind of have to get a push from somebody up in the hierarchy there uh, to raise up to any level that means anything. So... Uh, most people that get involved with these secret society groups don't have the first clue. Uh, honest to goodness, like the Freemasons and stuff like that. Totally agree. Authority. <laughs> What's that? I said, totally agree. We just talked to our friend the other day about that. I'm like the, the bottom level rung of these societies have no 
fucking idea what they're even getting into. So I, I mean, maybe some of them do, but most of them, no. No, most of them have no clue. And they basically, they have good intentions and they think, okay, well, you know, it's this, this group that, uh, you know, they have spaghetti dinners and stuff and raise money for children's hospitals and uh, all kinds of boring things like this. But uh, at yeah. least I'll be able to get a square deal down at the car dealership. Uh, and, yeah. and that's the kind of thing. That's, that's, that's how they operate. It's, it's like a, a boys club a lot of times for that kind of thing. It's a brotherhood, so, you know, right? And they're like, a, you know, are you a fellow traveler and this kind of thing? And they, they speak in these, uh, you know, very kind of cryptic terms to one another to identify one another. And then they give each other preferential treatment because of that. And it makes them feel like they have this sense of belonging. And that, that's the thing. Most of them, they just want to be able to um, have their businesses succeed or their business dealings succeed and maybe get a good deal on a car down at the car dealership and that kind of thing. And they get involved with it there. And this is what's called the blue lodge, right? Uh, in Freemasonry, this would be your first three levels of masonry. Uh, your, your entered apprentice, your uh, fellow craftsman and your master Mason. And most Masons don't go beyond that. Right. That's it. That's the end of it. That's I got up to that and was like, this is stupid. Like, why am I doing this? Granted, I was in my early 20s and it went right the fuck over my head. But I, I got in, into the Freemason thing to try to figure out what the fuck's going on. Like, what are they doing? They drinking blood from skulls. Like, what's going on now? I was like 22 or something like that. And uh, I got into the the third degree, whatever it is. And I was like, this is fucking stupid. You guys talk about what barbecue you're going to buy and like what the taxes look like and all this shit. I'm like, this is bullshit. This is nothing about what I've heard. Right. And yeah. Like you were saying, the lower rungs know absolutely nothing. Oh, that's that, that's, I'm out. Yeah. That's, that's just, that's, that's the, the base level power structure. Okay. That that's the numbers. That's the ones that, uh, yeah, yeah. Vote for this Congressman. That that's what that is. Uh, so you have all these, all these guys in the lower, uh, the blue lodge, right. The, they'll all, you know, vote the same way. They'll all do the same thing, support the same agendas. Uh, they'll blackball different businesses that may have done somebody wrong within the group. This is like the power base. Okay. And they have no clue what goes on at the higher levels because you have to have a pool up from above to get into any kind of higher uh, forms of masonry like that uh, to go on to some of the higher degrees. You have to have some kind of uh, somebody vouching for you. To, to pull you up. And that's when they get into the more occult things is as you go higher in the degree system in there. So, uh, you know, that being the case, most of them don't get past the blue lodge uh, because of those reasons. And, and especially if it's somebody that's going in to try to figure out what's going on down here, because they've heard things uh, they by and large, will find it's, it's boring. It's a bunch of guys talking about boring financial stuff and like, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. So uh, it, that's that's the bottom line here. Most of the time, you don't get any kind of real esoteric education within the, the Blue Lodge. Uh, it's only when you go beyond that. And there's other secret society groups, too, that do that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, yeah, we have, we have a friend that's uh, used to be in the OTO, and that's kind of a hardcore fucking secret society. And he, he got into it kind of for the same reason where he's like, I got to learn what these guys are doing. Like what the magic, like what's going on. And he ended up getting out of it luckily, but they're even fucking weirder. Like the OTO is just on a different level. I don't even know what to think of that. I haven't done much, much research into it, but have you, have you looked into that at all? Uh, yeah, I have. And that's, that's a dark path to look at uh, for sure. Because like it. It's, it, it's, it's screwed up, man. It, it really is. I mean, when you get into the, 
higher level uh, teachings of what they do and the things that they believe it's, it's screwed up. And actually, if you go back and look at uh, my, my channel on Rockfin, uh, I have a breakdown of uh, some of their, their own manuals, their own uh, books, right. That, that explore these different uh, initiation rituals and stuff that they do. Uh, so I, I think I did a two or three part series on the OTO and uh, how it relates uh, to the Babylon working uh, of uh, Jack Parsons and, uh, you know, uh, L. Ron Hubbard, uh, Scientology. That's another messed up thing. That's all based on the, these same occult ideas and stuff, too. It is. It, it's all it's screwed up. But I mean, uh, a lot of them are based on uh, Aleister Crowley's ideas, his th thelema that he founded. Uh, so the OTO has really adopted a lot of these thelema type ideas. Uh, so it, it's kind of it's been twisted. See, that's the thing. In, in the beginning now, and I would say still today, there's probably some people out in these secret society groups that are looking to do good, right? Trying to do good things and, and walk the right hand path, so to say, and uh, maintain a balance of these things and, and do what's right. But uh, by and large, most of these secret society groups, if you get into them and you go into the highest most levels, you're going to wind up going down that dark path, that left hand path. And that's by design because that's where they want you. Kind of so, the, the draw in at the beginning, and then they're like, this is what we actually do. We eat babies. It's super fun. No, you'll love it. Well, trust me. You know what it sounds like, Joe? It sounds like the fraternity system. You know, oh, 100%. Uh, it's almost like the JV version, right? It, it's a much lower level, but they draw you in. And then once you're behind the curtain, now you see how the sausage is made. And now you're now now you're part of the game. There's no getting well, out. Now you're a liability. Or now they have yeah. blackmail on you, and that gets into the whole pedophilia yeah. thing, which we don't have to Works touch the on. Same with politics, too. Works the same with politics. You have to be blackmailable to get anywhere in politics. Yep. And it's the same thing with a, a lot of these different groups. I mean, you, you have to take blood oaths to join the Freemasons, right? You, you have to take blood oaths on almost every single initiation. Uh, you take some type of a blood oath not to betray the order, the secrets of the order. Uh, so it's the same thing with all these different secret society groups. And and some of the things are really disturbing when you get in the higher levels of stuff, especially when you talk about an organization like the OTO. Uh, the, these are uh, messed up like that. They're, they're truly messed up. Uh, I so believe it. it it's the We're thing. Have is, to do a, a deeper dive on the OTO sometime. It just, you know, just to get dark for a minute. But I haven't looked into that. Sorry, I cut you off again. Go ahead. Oh, that's fine. No, it's fine. It's it's fascinating conversation. So, uh, you know, it, it's a good thing. But yeah, the OTO, they have some really messed up beliefs. And a, a lot of this ties back to some of the other secret society groups, too, because a lot of them all have very similar beliefs in there and similar teachings. It's just some have taken and twisted and perverted some of these things so out of whack that it's become like, uh, for lack of a better term, satanic. Well, right. it's inverted, right, Wayne? I mean, that's what they do with a lot of this stuff. They take something that's relatively good and just stretch it so far to invert it and flip it uh, uh, 180. Absolutely. That's that's what it's about. It's ap about absolute inversion of the natural system. That's what they're looking to achieve. That's why uh, transhumanism is the goal. See, they, these people, these dark occultists that run this place and these people in positions of power in this world, what they want to do in no uncertain terms is they want to become God. They want to be the gods of this place. They want absolute control over everything and everybody. 
and they want to live forever. And they see transhumanism as their key to doing this because they think they have the technological capability to pull this off now in the near, very near future. So they see this as their key and they're going to present it to the masses as the cure all for everything. Uh, they're going to present the idea of this transhumanist singularity as the cure all for everything. It'll it'll solve all of man pro mankind's health problems, right? You'll be able to solve any health problem, even aging and death. And that's how they'll present it to people, uh, by uploading your consciousness into a machine. This is what they're talking about. And this is why they push the agendas that they do. Uh, well, they yeah, and you can tell that's kind of a, a heresy or a front to Christianity on its face just because... If you, I mean, if you're a Bible guy, it says it's appointed to man once to die. Like everybody is supposed to die. So they're trying to uh, cut that short and be like, no, you don't have to die. You can live forever in this metaverse. But that sounds like hell to me because it sounds like you can't get out of there either. And maybe what you're talking about with the transhumanism thing, maybe that's the actual abyss. Maybe that's actually hell. You get stuck in a computer and you can't fucking leave. And living forever sounds great until you do it. And then you're like, fuck, I wish I could just die. But it's predictable. Right. So people are terrified of death because they have no idea what happens. They're so afraid of the unknown and they don't have faith or whatever their problem is with it. And it's fine. It's scary to people. They have no idea what's going to happen. But with something like transhumanism, you can spell it out for them. You can sell it to them with an iPad and in an Apple store someday. I think that will be an offer. Do you want to upgrade to the whatever deluxe live on an island forever plan? We'll just come over here and we'll go on the iPad because they, it will be very predictable. They'll get to pick it out themselves. That's how our world is moving towards right now. We get to decide every single thing that happens in our future. No one can just take what happens anymore. It's too scary. So that predictability of transhumanism, I think, will get a lot of people. Well, I, I could tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says in those days, men will seek death and it will elude them. Uh, and, and this is actually a concept I wrote about in my first book. Uh, my first book's called The Alchemical Tech Revolution, Fulfilling Ancient Esoteric Agendas Through the Use of High Technology. And that uh, is one of the chapters I wrote, equating the idea of uh, being able to do this transhumanist upload of your consciousness into a machine as being a man building his own hell, essentially, uh, because that's that's, in my view, exactly what it is, too. Uh, at some point, something is going to go terribly wrong. Uh, with this whole concept. I mean, think about this, all right? We all know, we all have cell phones, right? We all know sometimes your reception drops for no apparent reason or the network goes down. Uh, same thing with computers or the power goes out. Well, what happens to you if your consciousness is uploaded in this machine and the, the net goes down, the web goes down? What happens? Like, like think about it from that perspective. What happens to you then? And uh, well, that, that's not even to that's that's holding even the argument that that's even possible, which I think it's a lie. It's the great lie. Right. You could upload your consciousness to a machine. It's a lie. We don't understand how consciousness works. Uh, and, uh, you know, they, they look at it through this lens of this atheist viewpoint, uh, the people they have working on it. So uh, when they they look and they equate everything to being nothing more than the material right? The physical world, everything that we sense with our five senses here, this is all there is. This is the kind of concept they teach. This is why they teach atheism. Uh, they want you to believe this is it. This is all there is. So if that's the case, if that's true, if this is all there is, then the, uh, the, the idea of what consciousness is, consciousness would be nothing more than the 
biological electrochemical reactions going on in your brainstem, right? So this would be just a byproduct of that. And if that's the case, then it could be converted into an algorithm. And if it could be converted into an algorithm, therefore, theoretically, you could upload your consciousness to a machine. So this is what they teach. But this bypasses the whole spiritual idea altogether. And uh, a lot of what the evidence points out for consciousness, consciousness exists in and around the body, but outside of the body as well. Uh, and it, it goes on. Right. It, we've seen evidence of this in uh, near death experiences and stuff like that. That's been presented over and over again uh, that that's the case. So consciousness does not reside as nothing more than a byproduct of electrochemical reactions in your brain. There's more to it than that. It's, it's a field around you. And uh, people who study the occult understand this. So there's a deeper agenda at the top of this, at the tippy top of this. But uh, the primary agenda is mostly these people that are thinking in terms of the new paradigm here. Okay, that everything is the material. It's all just this physical world. And it's the, the more atheist point of view. It's what we would call scientism or science. And this is the new modern mythology that they're, they're writing and that they've been uh, invoking the archetype of Pan to produce. They want people to believe in science as the new god, right? This is your new god. This is science. Do you trust the science? Do you believe the science? Believe in the science. That's what they're telling you. Uh, so, uh, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I said Hill Fauci. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's your new high priest, right? You know, yeah. the scientist, the guy in the white lab coat that tells you, put on a mask, take off a mask, put on a mask. Uh, go get your It's crazy. Yeah, but that, that's exactly what they've been setting up. And they've been using these mythological archetypes to do that. So, you know, that, that's the whole premise of the new book. I, I really try to point out exactly how they've done this and uh, what they've done. Uh, through this whole agenda. And we see how the world's much different today than it was just a short two years ago, isn't it? It makes me think that that was the whole point, like you were saying, to push atheism and that this is all there is. They're making it so shitty to be here right now and that this is all there is that that makes it a lot easier segue into you can upload yourself and get out of this shithole that we've created, you know. Well, nope. that's that's why we had the lockdowns. That's why they had the separation, you know, the six feet apart kids being put, you know, in like cubes at school so that you couldn't interact. Right. You couldn't have your your auric fields interact and that, you know, you lose that human contact. And eventually that, you know, that isolation has to take some effect on you. Right. I mean, that's and that's kind of their goal. What does it do? It pushes you to the internet, right? It pushes you towards the metaverse because you can get that same, you know, they're, what they're saying is that same dopamine rush, that same interaction, but all you got to do is throw on a pair of goggles. Right. And it's a much more controllable dopamine hit, isn't it? For the, the people in charge of it. Yeah. And, and that's the bottom line. It's all about control. And uh, that's why they want you jacked into this digital system. Uh, so, and they're presenting it so that it's, it's an attractive alternative for most people because they've made the world so crappy. You, you don't want to go out and interact with people. You'd rather go and play your game, right? And, and that's what a lot of it is. You'd rather go interact or, or you know, watch Netflix and chill, uh, like th this kind of mentality. They, they've really pushed and promoted this or, you know, go play the video game, be in this interactive chat, uh, this kind of thing. So uh, 
did you see the movie Ready Player One? That, that's essentially what they're trying to present it as to people in the beginning phases of it. Uh, you know, society sucks. The outside world sucks. Uh, so you go in your crappy little uh, uh, 20 by 10 apartment uh, and on your mattress on the floor and sit there with your virtual goggles on and jack yourself into the, the system and, and play your game with all your free time. Right. Oh, I like the free guy approach, Wayne. Where yes. He does the opposite, right? He he realizes he's an NPC and he doesn't want to be it anymore. I'm going to break out of the game and I'm going to, I'm going to become real. Yeah. And that was a cool concept too. I, I like that movie, but uh, there, there's more to that NPC agenda too. And I, I did a video on that not long ago on my channel. So uh, that that's, that's another one that deserves another look, the whole concept of the NPC. But uh, you know, that that's part and parcel of what's been going on here too. Uh, they're trying to uh, steer our our minds into accepting these kind of digital ideas because that's what they want to do. They want to replace reality with digital reality, right? Virtual reality, augmented reality. That's the whole plan here. They want everybody jacked into the system. They want you wired into the system 24-7, day and night through your entire life. Uh, so it's been a slow roll for that too. I mean, it was pretty ingenious to come up with things like smartphones where people are jacked into the matrix all the time anyway, just not, you know, visually, I guess you're, you're always, I mean, most people are always on their phone, always interacting over their phone over this metaversal type of thing. So it's not much of a stretch to be like, you could actually be there in person if you just put these goggles on and then you can see the avatar and it's going to look however you want. It can look like a dude. You could be a chick. You could be a chick with a dick. You can do whatever you want. Just put these goggles on. The world's your fucking oyster. Yeah, you could be a purple panda. Whatever you want to do. You could be a palm tree. Yeah, you could be a toaster. Fucking a hot dog. Fuck it. Meanwhile, the world around us isn't so bad. It's beautiful <laughs> where we live. We take the kids out all the time. The kids, our whole neighborhood plays outside all the time. All the kids are always outside. I refuse to do the screens 24 seven thing. It's ridiculous. Well, the, the next step of that, you know, is an implantable brain chip, right? And, and that's when they really got you because they, they already have uh, policy white papers and stuff out talking about the internet of thoughts. I kid you not. I'm not making that up as a real thing. And the internet of bodies, uh, World Economic Forum uh, we broke down a, uh, one of their white papers on the Internet of Bodies uh, like last year or something on Secrets of Saturn live stream one night. Uh, so like these are real concepts they're talking about. They want you jacked totally into the system. And uh, once they once they have you in the system in that way, they could control your perceptions. Right. So you won't be able to tell the difference between what's reality and what's virtual reality. When it comes down to it, uh, once they have full access to your brain, right, or your brain function, they could alter your perceptions and they could do this in a very real way. And perception is reality. So if they want to try and pull off like a uh, UFO alien invasion hoax, if you have a, a chip in your brain, they could make you believe that, sense that, feel that, experience that, even if you're just sitting in a chair. And you wouldn't know, like you would think you're out in, in public or something and experiencing this, right? And maybe you're not. And that's where it really gets kind of concerning and hazy uh, because it's going to break down the doors of perception. And uh, I think somebody famous wrote a book called The Doors of Perception, didn't they? Uh, yeah. 
one of the Huxley well, kind of brings it. Yeah. It kind of brings it into the Elon Musk thing to touch on some current events. I mean, what do you think about the whole Elon Musk thing? Because people are torn even in this community. And I don't think it's good. The, the whole thing with him buying Twitter is way too out there in the mainstream to be good. It can't be good in my opinion. What do you think about that with his neural link and all that shit? Well, he's, he's an insider for sure. Uh, he's, He's part of the problem. Let's put it that way. He's not part of the solution. Uh, his his grandfather or his father, I forget which it was. I think it was his grandfather, now that I'm thinking back, was a part of a movement in Canada back uh, going back a century ago uh, called the Technocracy Movement. And I think that should tell you everything you need to know about the guy. Uh, but uh, that that's beside the point. Um, uh, anyway, the way I see him is, well, he's he's an actor, right? He's he's their poster boy. They put him up there. He's their little puppet. He's their their poster boy that they put out there to present some of these new ideas. Like, look at all the things he has his hands in, really. Tesla Motors, uh, SpaceX, uh, you know, Neuralink. Uh, now, Twitter. It's like, what what isn't the guy involved in? Yeah, boring company. Like, all of these different things that he's involved in, supposedly, right? And he sounds like an idiot when he talks. So uh, like that's the whole thing. They want you to believe he's brilliant and everything else and 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 this kind of thing. But he, he sounds like an idiot and he's just a figurehead. They, they just put him out there as the poster boy for the things they want. And he'll go out and now he bought Twitter, supposedly. And uh, he's going to, what, save free speech? I, I The same guy that wants to put a brain implant in your head and right. link it to his satellites up. And he, he wants you to have free speech. Really? It, it, that's kind of where i was going with that yeah sounds like the antichrist yeah well, but it also sounds like he's not in charge of anything more than joe biden is like he's like yeah he's like a gates character that. joe you know i yeah. mean they they put these people out there as as pawns right and and that's what bill gates he started as a computer guy now all of a sudden he's a world-renowned vaccinologist you know like i mean it just doesn't make any sense doctor yeah you laugh at this stuff, but that's that's the kind of world they operate in. And, you know, Wayne, I, I was going to ask you, but I guess it it kind of answers itself. When when did they start trying to play God? I mean, it almost sounds like it's in time and memoriam. I mean, it's, it's from the yep. beginning. Uh, but I, I'd love to hear what you found, because it's <laughs> I thought it was more of a recent trend, you know, last thousand years or so. But it sounds like it goes way back. Oh, it goes all the way back. See, that that's the whole key. You've always had this this portion uh, of this place that have uh, been seeking that. And, and we could even go back and look at a story in the Bible that attests to this. Uh, you go back and you look at the story of the Tower of Babel. Uh, well, King Nimrod, he uh, got all his people to build this grand city, uh, the city of Babel. And they, they built this tower to the heavens. And the whole premise of this is they wanted to build the tower reaching into the heavens, and uh, Nimrod's plan was he wanted to scale to the top of the tower and slay God and take his place. And that's how the story goes. But uh, uh, what happened instead is because uh, uh, this this blatant disregard of natural law and the natural order of things and, you know, how God created this place that we live in, uh, this was a violation of that to a certain degree. Uh, so what God did was he smashed the tower in spectacular fashion and confused the languages. And this is an important key that people miss. All right. The confusing of the languages. And it sent people, they scattered all across 
the earth because they they couldn't understand each other. So there were only small groups that could understand each other. So they went and they made their own cities, right? And they, they, they settled in different places. Uh, so it was a communication problem. And that's the same thing that's uh, coming to pass with this whole transhumanist notion. Uh, I think we're going to experience another Tower of Babel moment if they happen to succeed with it in any way, shape, or form. It's the same kind of thing going on. So uh, essentially, this this tells the story that nature will always self-correct and uh, that God will not tolerate uh, this kind of an encroachment upon this system he put here. It's a natural law, see? It, it can't possibly succeed uh, because of the nature of it, because no cre creation could be greater than their creator. Uh, so that's the bottom line here. So when when they're seeking to to do that, um, he set himself up for failure, catastrophic failure. And this is this is presented uh, a lot of times in different occult circles through things like the tarot. Uh, look at the tower card. It's the number 16. It equates to number 16, the tower card, right? And this comes into play with all the 9-11 symbology and stuff too, but that's a show for another day. Uh, but when, when you get to that kind of an idea, uh, what happens is when you violate natural law, and this is where one of the reasons why they, they came to the knowledge of that karmic principle uh, that I was talking about, because the, you know this was a, a gross violation of natural law that uh, Nimrod brought upon himself and his people uh, because they, they got uh, much too uh, hubristic, so to say. They got arrogant and they thought they could be greater than their creator. And uh, they, they kind of did everything in violation of the natural law. It was the total inversion principle coming into play. See, so they kind of learned a little bit of a lesson from that. And that's where the, they got the idea of this uh, skirting of, of the karmic principles by uh, doing these different uh, metaphysical consent type approaches that we talk about. But uh, at any rate, that's that's essentially what happened. Uh, he got knocked down uh, a peg, right? So, and the languages got confused. And this was an important concept uh, because with the confused languages now, it creates this barrier to communication. And once again, this is where a lot of the obscurement of many of these old ideas, like these alchemical sciences and things like that, got lost and perverted in many ways uh, because of the lack of communication. So it created this, this different distribution of these different types of knowledges. Uh, so, and this is where, you know, we've had so much variation in different uh, like uh, cultures and stuff like that uh, with some of these different same core ideas with the same core elements and stories that go on. Uh, like if you look at almost every major culture and society throughout history has some kind of a flood myth, right? Or a flood mythology. Same thing. It's just, you know, the names are different and, you know, some of the maybe some of the, the minor aspects are different. But this breaks down back to that whole communication barrier thing uh, once again. And this is why the spoken word is such an important concept. And this is why things get passed orally uh, by tradition as well. So, uh, uh, you know, not to mention then shortly after that time, that's when the written word still really started to take off a little bit more. Uh, because people decided they, they need to record this because they couldn't communicate with each other that is best anymore. So uh, you get into all these different ideas. So uh, when, when it comes to the, the bottom line here, it's one of those concepts where uh, if we repeat that, we've been warned about it, right? It, the story lays it very bare, but uh, they don't want to repeat it. And for some reason, they think they could do better this time with the use of these advanced technologies, but it's the same concept underlying it. But uh, so I do hope you that think it's something that, 
that repeats a lot though because uh matt goes into a lot of weird history and uh resets and that kind of shit do you do you think this is something that's happened a lot like several times over history or is it just tower of babel and now we're here again or has it happened like i don't know if you go as crazy as every couple hundred years there's a crazy reset where technology gets to the point where they're building the new tower of babel and they get struck back down by some cataclysm or something and then it's reset and then here we are again today like do you think it's happened a lot or is it just a couple times it's hard to say because so much of our history is convoluted uh history is a lie agreed upon so uh, that's, that's essentially what what comes to being. So it's hard to look back beyond our lifetime and our direct experience to say what what was the world like before I was born, right? And if we lose touch with our our relatives, our, our ancestors, so to say, like we're the descendants. Like uh, when I grew up, I, I was close with my grandparents, right? And I had heard stories about things that happened in their time and like in the old days and stuff like that. But that's something that's getting lost in our society more and more. Uh, this generational gap like that, the, the generations don't communicate with one another. And that's a sad thing. So information's lost there. So it's hard to say for sure, like, you know, how much this has happened or what exactly has happened, uh, because much of our history is convoluted. But uh, if you go back and look at uh, the teachings through uh, many of these different uh, secret society groups and uh, mystery school organizations, they teach that there were various different ages, and this happens from time to time, like uh, the ancient Lemurians, that was one end phase of the world, the Atlanteans, the Atlantic, uh, Atlantean era, uh, that was destroyed in a cataclysmic way, and now we're in this, uh, this next phase here. Uh, so, you know, um, looking logically at it through the lens of hermetic science, uh, we could say it could be the, the principle of rhythm falling into place, so it's likely that this is a cyclical event, how often or how frequently it happens, who could say for sure, or, you know, exactly how it manifests, who could say for sure. Uh, it's, it's hard to tell because so much of our history is convoluted and we really aren't taught the right things. We're, we're just taught um, revisionist history for the most part. The victor writes the history. So, you know, we, we see uh, only through that lens and uh, we don't really know unless we live through that time. Uh, what actually came about in those times. Uh, and I could use, for example, the things that happened here the past two years. Imagine what the history books will say in 50 years, about 2020 to 2022. And how accurate will that be? Like if we actually lived through it and we saw this, how, how are they going to tell the story, right? It'll be probably- Oh yeah, they, they've done some things too that'll throw off the history. Like they had the 2020 Olympics in 2022 and and, and things like that, that- don't match up correctly. So there's already some areas where they can throw things off. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you, Wayne, is do you think that the whole vaccination play was a test in a sense to see who's willing to take that next step towards transhumanism? Uh, if you want my honest opinion, in the beginning phases of it, I thought that's exactly what it was, a test a test run for something. Uh, but as time goes on here, I'm beginning to realize more and more uh, they're going for it with it. Uh, this is, this has become uh, what they would call a passive eugenics test to a, an active eugenics test. Uh, so this is what's been going on. It's a eugenics weapon. Let's, let's, you know, make no bones about that. It's a eugenics weapon designed for the purposes of population reduction. And it's been working very effectively for them. 
And it ties directly to the transhumanist notion of things, because uh, what's been coming out actually in data in the UK and New Zealand and other places is they're discovering that people that have taken these shots, this series of shots and the boosters concurrently with it, their immune function is down by as much as 80%. So their bodies, their natural immune systems aren't working anymore. So if that's the case, isn't this kind of a transhumanist technology of sorts that they're trying to force you into the system? If you want to stay alive, you need to get the next update, the next software update. You need to go get the next shot. See, and this is how this works. And they've, they've coerced people into taking this under false pretenses. And now that they're in it, um, the ones that are still capitulating, it's getting worse and worse and worse uh, for people. And uh, it hasn't stopped anything, has it? So it's disingenuous on the face of it uh, because it, it didn't work. It didn't do what they said at all. So not even uh, close, not even close. No, in yeah, fact, that's all what I, I said the same thing. If it either it did two things, it either made people worse or didn't work at all. That's right. It. And that's the bottom line. That's the only conclusions you can come to now looking at it is either number one, it doesn't work or number two, it's doing more harm than good. And I would say the evidence is pointing that uh, it's doing more harm than good. It hasn't been fully explored yet as to, uh, you know, exactly what the long-term effects of this thing are. Uh, but uh, when you look at other sources, like something like the Deagle Report, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with what the Deagle Report is. Uh, this is yeah, in the National Box from uh, 2012, or I don't no, remember. By 2025, U.S. population will be down to about 60 million. Right, right. And that's exactly what it's off the website, too. Yeah. And this is a real logistics organization. This has always been uh, a very uh, uh, accurate and uh, trusted resource in military intelligence. And that actually, uh, I think I first saw that back in 2015 or 2016, that report about by 2025, uh, the U.S. population would be down to 60 million. They take that stuff seriously and they, they know what they're projecting. So, yeah. And what's scary, Wayne, is it wasn't just the U.S. You no, know, I believe it was France, U.K., Germany. I mean, it was a lot. Australia was in there. These these larger, you know, Euro nations that were just right, going to lose culture. tremendous amounts of people. Right. The, the larger portions of Western culture. And, and that's the sad part. Uh, when you, you look at that and, and think about, well, why would this trusted military intelligence logistics firm make these kinds of predictions. What exactly is that based upon? And uh, when they were pressed to actually explain it, they, they didn't really give an accurate, uh, you know, statement as to how they did, but they stood by their numbers, right? They, they couldn't tell you exactly how or why, but they stood by their numbers and said, just based upon current world events. And I would say they were probably using some kind of computer algorithm to figure this stuff out at that point. Some AI, yeah. So, you know, uh, they, they stood by their numbers, though, and said that they were likely very accurate. Uh, so, you know, and then you see something like this happen and uh, we, we see what's been going on. Uh, insurance companies all across the country and all over the world have been reporting that they've seen an alarming trend in uh, the deaths of people between the ages of 18 and 60 uh, that they've been doing payouts and stuff for. It, it's off the off the charts. It's like a 40 percent increase that they've seen over the past year now or two years That's a ridiculously large number i mean right. look i mean you could probably look up a graph of the 
the ratios of how many you know that percentage and it's and not anywhere close to that this is unprecedented amounts of people filing with life insurance like uh i want to see the official stats from the last couple of years but they probably are doctored so you probably can't remember you know yeah. believe too much of that either but uh so actually this is a great segue into a kind of a closing segment here what do you think is going to happen i ask everybody who comes on what do you think is going to be going on? I mean, in light of the Deagle documents and all the other things going on, what do you think is going to happen? Speculation only. That's all I want between now and maybe 2030. We'll just put that as a good round number. Okay. Well, 2030 is a good number to go with because it's one of their target years. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I would say largely just based upon the things I've read and uh, much of the stuff I've looked at, I would say we're probably trending towards what will happen uh, within, say, the next 10 years or so, uh, or up around 2030. Uh, I think we're going to see a, uh, a, a reduction in population, a, a significant one. Uh, people are going to, uh, you know, uh, begin getting very sick and uh, having all kinds of medical problems. And uh, they'll probably blame it on some type of a new variant or a new disease or something and not try to, you know, draw any attention to the idea of the vaccine. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's going to be an alarming thing. Uh, I also uh, would tend to think that uh, they're probably going to play the, the artificial scarcity game here moving forward. Uh, you know, food shortages, things like that. Try and shift, uh, you know, the, the monetary system to a digital uh, I think they want to have that in place by 2030, probably at the latest, going all digital for currencies. And that's, that's probably one of the worst case scenarios we could have, because you will lose more freedom at that point than has ever been in the history of the world. I don't think it's going to be a smooth transition, though. I, I don't think things have gone exactly how they want. And even though they had a great deal of success with their vaccine program and with the events of the past two years, with the bulk of the masses, they're starting to get massive pushback now because they've been very obvious in the things they're doing and people are starting to wake up to it. So I, I think there's definitely hope that we can start turning this stuff around. Uh, if they get their way, well, you know, we'll all be um, have a biometric ID and a, a, a vaccine passport of sorts all tied together with all your uh, legal documentation and everything about yourself, your bank account, everything tied together in one utility along with a social credit score. Uh, in order to have access to goods and services. That's if they get their way. I don't think they're going to get their way exactly how they want, or it's going to take longer than they expect. Uh, but they've been pushing quite hard with this. So, uh, you know, I would expect that they're probably going to pull some kind of a, a new next level event to try and get people to capitulate even more so than they did this time. In fact, they're trying to set up the infrastructure within the World Health Organization for this, for the next pandemic, where... Uh, they're trying to legislate internationally uh, through the World Health Organization that the, in the event of a crisis or a pandemic level event, that the World Health Organization would take precedent over any kind of national sovereignty and would be able to implement uh, these types of dra draconian measures to prevent uh, the spread of illness and this kind of thing. Uh, they've actually tried to draft that legislation and are trying to get that moving forward. Uh, so this is a concerning thing because this, this will supersede any national sovereignty. So, uh, you know, this gives the World Health Organization carte blanche authority over pretty much everything in the event of one of these type scenarios again in the future. And, uh, you know, this this whole test run here with the bioweapon of sorts um, has uh, 
has really opened a lot of people's eyes to this, I think. So they're going to get some major pushback, but they're trying to be quiet about that kind of aspect of it. So it's hard to say for sure. A lot of people in this community who want to start a commune who have tons of guns. So I think they're going to get more pushback than they bargained for at the end of the day. Absolutely. So it's going to create a a more massive division in society. Uh, You're going to have your off grid folks and you know, you're going to have, your people living in the smart cities. That's where they're trying to shift everybody to the smart city kind of idea. Trying to hurt us, right? Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll see how that all, all shakes out. It's hard to say. I mean, I, I can't really make an accurate assessment of what the future looks like. I could just base it upon things I've read that what they're looking for. And, uh, you know, from my personal experiences, what, what I see uh, as far as them getting pushback. So, uh, I think they're going to get a lot more pushback than what they expect, though, because people just aren't ready for it. They're not buying into it. Uh, people are upset over, you know, a lot of these different things. Like most people that I know that have actually capitulated and gone and got the shots, by the time they're telling them they need booster shots, they're like, screw that. I, I did what you said and I went and I got them. I'm not getting any more. Uh, they don't want to hear it anymore. They're overplaying their hand a bit much, which makes me think they're kind of on their toes which gives me hope for maybe how this will turn out. But like you said, you can't really call it. It's I mean, we, we just tune in every day to the world weird fucking theater that's around us and hope for the best and just do what we can. They're paying attention to every single move we make though, even every single thing. So they are always a couple steps ahead, but if we threw them for a loop, I don't know how we would do they that. I think they are. But if we could, I think, I think they've done it for a long enough time that they're a little bit ahead, but I think we could win. I do have hope as well. Yeah, I definitely see hope uh, because uh, like I said, by and large, there's more people waking up to aspects of this than ever before. And for a lot of people, it's like, it's just surface level stuff, right? Like they, they'll look at this whole thing with the vaccine and they'll say, it doesn't work. This is just the pharmaceutical companies getting greedy and wanting to make money. And you know, I'm, I'm not buying it anymore. Right. Right. So uh, they see that surface level narrative. Oh, it's about the money. Well, the money is a very small part of the whole entire thing going on. But at least they're starting to see through the disingenuousness of it. Yes, it's a good start, though. It's like a little breakthrough for people. It's not quite a red pill. It's like a red flake that they can. But at least they're eating it. Take that little red flake and ingest the whole pill later. Right. And once they could actually come to terms with the fact that, first of all, they've been lied to and that somebody has some ulterior agenda at play, once they realize those two things, well, then then that kind of starts to lift the veil off of it all a little bit more, doesn't it? And then they start to maybe think a little bit more about things that they're presented in the media, especially. I think everybody will agree at this point that the media, you know, they just blatantly lie. Uh, (laughs) So. You know, I don't think anybody trusts anything that comes across the news, not completely. Yeah, I, I would hope not. But there probably still is a demographic of people that do. But Oh, yeah, there's a few people that line up on the corner of my street every week with, you know, white supremacy kills and Black Lives Matter signs. So they definitely oh. still suck on the corporate media teat. Like <laughs> well. Uh, those are people without any kind of critical thinking skills, apparently. They just are good at repeating talking points. Uh, and that's largely what, uh, you know, the social programming's about. They don't want you to think for yourself. They'll do the thinking for you. Uh, that, that's how propaganda works. 
So, uh, you know, it, it's it's sad to see, but there are people that fall in line with that. But uh, all it takes is a very small percentage of people to stand up against it and make any kind of real change here. Uh, so that that's my hope, that enough people will wake up through this process to stand up and interfere and say, time out, stop. We're not doing this. We, we don't consent to this. You're not pulling that here. Take you take your crap elsewhere. Uh, so and, and this starts in grassroots community type movements and stuff like that, too. Uh, so like you said, there's a lot of truthers or whatever out there you want to call them that maybe want to start a small commune or something and, you know, uh, live off the land and go off grid and this kind of thing. And, you know, that might be the way forward. Who's to say for sure? I think it's it's important that uh, we all help one another and be kind to one another. Uh, that, that's the bottom line at the end of the day. Uh, take care of your your families and, you know, within your communities, your neighbors and stuff like that. Look out for one another. And, uh, you know, it should progress from there. Uh, it, it's all about community, like starting in a grassroots type way with this stuff as far as standing against the big machine, right? Because most people, we all want the same thing. We just want to live our lives and leave us alone, right? (laughs) You know, maybe we want a little bit of go, go travel and do stuff, uh, go to the beach, uh, see different parts of the world and have enough food to eat and maybe, you know, do something fun once in a while, but leave us alone. Right. And that's all everybody wants. And this is the opposite of that, that they're presenting. This is not leave me alone. This is let me into your mind. Let me control your mind. Let me guide your steps. Let me tell you what to do day and night. That, that, that's yeah. the opposite of leave me alone. So I think at some point people are going to say, this is not what I signed up for. Screw you. Go away now. We're not going to do it. We're not listening. Uh, and when enough people do that, well, their whole co- house of cards falls, doesn't it? <laughs> so. Yeah. And that's the thing. How that exactly looks is going to be what we don't know. How the leave right. me alone, fuck you, the final fuck you, leave me alone. That's what we're all trying to picture. Yeah, that's. I'm so glad that they made fact checkers. I know everyone hates fact checkers. I think it's fantastic that they made them because it shows that we're doing something right. So they had to make this new group of people that they probably weren't planning for. They're like, oh, well, you're not falling in line. Let me make this. And every single thing that people like us do or anyone who maybe isn't like us who just doesn't want to fall in line and follow the narrative they have something for them and when they have to create that they're stopping with their narrative and they have to readjust and i love that i just think of it as like the navigation of like recalculating recalculating because <laughs> they have to constantly be readjusting to us you know fucking up their gone narrative off course. so uh... it's great even if it's just for a little bit we're still living our own lives and eventually I think if enough people stop um, falling prey to the fear because they'll take one person and, you know, kill them in public and everyone would be like, oh, my God, that could be me. And I'm not saying like it could. I mean, it could come. It might. Who knows? But they could do that. And a bunch of people would just drop out. They have so many fear based tactics that it's yeah, it's gross. It is, but I, I would agree with that assessment. Uh, the more we're screwing them up, the more of these different kinds of ideas they got to come up with, right? Uh, so they have to, you know, it's like strike, counter-strike, that kind of thing. And, and I'll tell you, my primary mission right now is to screw up their algorithms any way that I can. Uh, so I, I will leverage every trick in the book that I know against them. And in fact, publishing my newest book, I released this, the hardcover edition, on February 22nd, 2022, Tuesday. Tuesday, 2-22-22. Nice. Uh, 
And I really? did that for various esoteric reasons because uh, of the power of numbers. So they, they do this stuff all the time with the things that they do. They always watch very carefully release dates on things and run times on stuff. Uh, so I'm using the same principles against them. Uh, that, that's what I've done here. And nice. uh, I think that's actually done something because this one became a bestseller for me. Uh, so uh, awesome. I, I'm very pleased to say that uh, I'm a best-selling author now uh, because of that. So um, I think the timing was right, and I've leveraged uh, the same weapons that they use against us against them. Uh, so in doing that, uh, I hope I screwed up their algorithms good enough uh, that uh, maybe they have to change up tactics now or be more aware that something like this is going on. And I would encourage other people to do this kind of stuff as well. Uh, like try to play these same tricks on them that they play on us. Right. Uh, because it's, well, it, I mean, you released it on two twenty two on a Tuesday and uh, you're a best-selling author now. So obviously you're a shill. I just have to throw that out <laughs> there. I mean, pretty I obvious. right? Yeah. And that, that's the other thing that's, that's really come uh, up in this, this type of community lately, everybody calling everybody else a shill. It just yeah. needs to stop. All it's for is to sow division. Like uh, just because somebody has a little modicum of success of some sort, uh, doesn't mean that they're a shill. I mean, I, I'm yet to receive a shill check. I, I, I don't know who do I contact about getting this shill check. Uh, so like, and who signs it? Right, and who signs it? And who like? It, that's the thing. A lot of people are under the impression anybody that gets any type of a sizable audience or something is automatically a shill. And anybody that charges money for any type of good or service that they're that they're putting out there is a shill. And this is a, I heard a great so line the other day. Or... No, a great line the other day was like, I hope all these people saying that you're making money on your show makes you a shill. I hope they don't have a job. Otherwise, they are actual shills for whatever company they are working for. They're doing things for money. Like that's how they pay their bills is doing things for money. That's the right. definition of a shill, right? I, I, I don't know. I mean, what is the loose definition of shill when you're... I don't even know. <laughs> but, uh, I would I would tell people, like, putting out this level of content like this, uh, like, I, I've written four books now. I'm working on a fifth one currently. Uh, this takes a lot of time, especially I'm writing about nonfiction, and I'm, I'm, it takes a lot of research and time uh, to, to put in, to, in just to reading and compiling this stuff together and, and outlining the information in a way that makes it uh, digestible by people that takes a yeah. lot of work and effort. Uh, so is my time valueless in that sense? Should I be giving this away for free just because, you know, just because somebody thinks that otherwise, if, if I'm not, then, you know, I'm some type of a shill. Yeah, uh, the devil. That's the thing. I mean, this is what I do full time. Now I, I write books. <laughs> that's what I do now. I, I quit my full time job uh, because I just couldn't stand corporate America anymore. Uh, so now I, I do podcasting and write books and I'll tell you, I'm not a fortune. Oh, yeah. So uh, if anybody could point me in the direction of how to get a hold of one of these shill checks, I'd be grateful. <laughs> so, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, um, it, it's the, the point is this, just because somebody charges for something or is selling something uh, to try to support themselves, it's the same as, like you said, if you have a job, well, that's how you make your money to support yourself. Right. Well, it's the same kind of thing. Uh, there, this this kind of content and stuff, it takes a lot of time and effort to put into this to make something that people want to see or want to read, right? So right. If, if that's the case, I mean, is 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 it not worth something to somebody? Is it is this information being presented here, does it not have value at all? Or would you rather go and pay to watch uh, 
a baseball game or something. You know, you know what I mean? Like you would rather pay like uh, 500 bucks for Super Bowl seats uh, to go sit in a stadium and, and watch uh, right. men tackle each other. And, and that's of more like going to a concert of your favorite band, having to pay 75 bucks to get in and then yelling at the front that they're shills because you had to pay 75 bucks to get in to see your favorite band. Right. It's the, it's the same, same thing. It really is. And when you put it that way, that that's exactly what it's like. So, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. And I, I personally, I do put out a lot of content for free. Uh, so like people could check out, uh, I have a YouTube channel. I'm going to start posting back on there again. I stopped posting uh, simply because I, I don't want to actually lose that resource because uh, it's yeah. a good way to reach people. We'll get strike after strike after strike if I'm not careful. <laughs> so, you know, I moved over to Rockfin simply because I could, I could say what I want and not worry about it because it's protected by a paywall, first of all. But I still put a lot of free content on Rockfin, too. Uh, yeah. So you know, everybody can come watch it. It's just a different platform. And that's, that's the game here with a lot of it. It's hard to get people to step away from these popular platforms that have been pushed on them. Right. And, and to go try a new platform or a new place uh, to look at different, uh, different things. So yep. that, that's a constant battle here. It's a catch 22 because at one point you kind of have to use the big platform because that's where everybody congregates and sees stuff. Uh, but at the other side of the token is that's where all the censorship and stuff goes on. And, you know, people are just very, I don't know, hesitant to change their, the platforms and stuff they use. Like they, they'd rather go to YouTube. I mean, there's, there's so much content on YouTube. They could go there and find an endless litany of things to watch or, or be entertained by, I guess. And, you know, that if you go to another platform, there's less stuff to choose from. And, you know, I understand that. I don't know. Good. Rockfin's been uh, blown up quite a bit lately. There's more content on Rockfin than I could absorb ever. Like, I, not even just our shows. Like, between everybody that's on Rockfin, it, I don't even know how you'd have time in the day to watch all this shit. There's so many people doing stuff. It's uh, 100% worth 10 bucks a month as opposed to YouTube's uh, YouTube Red or whatever it's called, 10 bucks a month. Like, which one? choose where you're, you're going to spend your money because uh, you know who you're supporting if you're paying 10 bucks a month to YouTube. But uh, anyway, that's enough of that. Dude, yeah. thanks so much for coming on. Give us a quick, I mean, you kind of already told us you can find you on Rockfin, YouTube, anywhere else we can find you. Uh, yeah, the Alchemical Tech Revolution podcast is available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, I, I put up an episode once a week, usually there. And I'm also right over here on Rockfin. I have the YouTube channel, Alchemical Tech Revolution. I run a small, highly censored Facebook page called Files from the Conspiratorium uh, that, uh, for some reason, hasn't grown much beyond about uh, 3,000 uh, followers or something within the past how many years. <laughs> so uh, it, it stagnates. And that's the same thing that's happened with my YouTube channel. It stagnated. It, it's like... Yep. Even though here on Rockfin, I'm up to like 8,600 followers or something here now. And it's growing all the time. And, yeah. and, you know, you go on YouTube and it's like, it's the same number it was two years ago. Why? <laughs> you They're know, with those numbers 100%. Matt, yeah. before you get out of here, tell us where we can find you and your awesome Monday Night Master Debaters, which we have to get back on soon, by the way. I'm sorry. Yeah, we'd love to have you. Yeah, I, uh the great deception podcast you can find me on instagram uh any podcasting hosting service uh youtube i starting to post stuff up there but like everybody said you got to be careful what you put up there 
uh, and hopefully going to start a Patreon soon. Get some, uh, I'm going to become a shell myself. Awesome. Love it. That's awesome. All right. Thanks everybody in the chat. Thanks Wayne. Thanks Matt. Great fucking talk. I love this one. Uh, yeah, thanks I, so much. You guys, I just realized uh, this is for Johnny just because I haven't played one the whole time. There you go, buddy. You're welcome. <laughs> All right, you guys, have a great night. Everybody in the chat, Wayne and Matt. Love you guys. Talk to you soon.